Well, a very good Friday afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Friday Live. Uh, this is the March 4th, first Friday edition, and I'm Jim. And this is Cheryl. Thanks for tuning in. And we have a lovely program lined up for you today. We're going to be joined a little later on this hour by Mark Hart. He and his wife have written a book called Our Not-Quite-Holy Family. So kind of a realistic uh, approach, I think, to well, raising you know, there's family. no guidebook to being parents, right? Nope. Nope, we found that out. <laughs> so he's everybody, gonna, everybody finds that out. Yeah, he's going to tell us how, uh, even if you don't have it quite together, right. the so, fact that you're still together, you're on the right path, right? right. So Mark will be here uh, a little later on. Also this hour, of course, we have our uh, weather with our domestic church media chief meteorologist, Jim Hoffman. He'll be joining us. We're going to play Name That Catholic Tune, another Lenten edition of Name Mm -hmm. That Catholic Mm -hmm. Tune, so stay tuned for that. Uh, And then next hour, um, we have our gospel for the third Sunday in Lent already. It is, yes. And our friend Father Gary Koch will stop by and giving a reflection on this uh, Sunday's gospel. And then a very interesting uh, interview conversation. We hope you can stay with us for this because um, uh, we've had questions here. They've been quite, you heard the bishop talking about it. Uh, we're going to be joined by Dr. Ted Furton, and he's an ethicist at the National Catholic Bioethics Center. Mm-hmm. And he's going to directly address the vaccine issue from a Catholic bioethics point of view. So Dr. Ted Furton will be our guest next hour. So stay tuned for that. If you know anybody who has questions about the vaccine and the moral obligations, the ethic, you know, obligations there, uh, have them tune in because uh, Dr. Ted Furton will be here to talk about that. That's the second hour. Have them tune in, if, if not now, for the two hours of joyous fun right before 530 if you want to uh, listen to that particular inter- interview mm-hmm. with us specialist and an educated doctor and uh, you know that you're going to get the raw honest truth that's right so uh, we'll be doing that but let's first pray it is uh, time uh, as we do every uh, program at this hour top of the hour uh, to pray now if you are uh, listening on one of our domestic church media radio stations here in new jersey or pennsylvania that's great uh, but also be aware that we're coming to you on all different platforms and media you can uh, listen on your Amazon uh, Alexa device, just tell Alexa to play domestic church media or your Google Home device, just say play domestic church media. We'll stream live there 24-7. Of course, we're coming to you on our streaming audio from our homepage at domesticchurchmedia.org. And uh, our free mobile app, is it's free at your app store, and um, you can download that. And we bring you also, you can listen to the live stream there. You can also watch uh, our uh, Program this program, which is live uh, on our YouTube channel at youtube.com/slash Domestic Church Media. Also live video on our Facebook page, facebook.com/slash Domestic Church Media, and live video on our homepage at Domestic. Pretty Church soon, Media. that's going to take like the first half hour. All that string of isn't that great? It used but to be we'd it? sit sit. Remember that old? Remember the, uh, the WTMR studio mm-hmm. in Camden? Right. It was a little. Space it. with a little, couple little table mics, yeah. and a window and the engineer. That was it. Now like we a little closet. Now we have all this. This is the station number. Thank you for tuning in. Done. That was it. <laughs> but here we have all of this, and still, I'm kind of been teasing the audience uh, all week long. Still expanding, and you'll hear more about that later on. 
Let's first uh, pray, uh, friends, and again, we invite you to join and pray for your special intentions, the special intentions of all of our listeners tuned in right now. Pray for us here at the Apostolate and our intentions as well. So we begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. O Lord Jesus, you lived in the home of Mary and Joseph in Nazareth. There you grew in age, wisdom, and grace as you prepared to fulfill your mission as our Redeemer. We We entrust entrust our our family family to you. you. O Blessed Mother, you are the mother of our Savior. At Nazareth, you cared for Jesus and nurtured him in the peace and joy of your home. We entrust our family to you. O Saint Joseph, you provided a secure and loving home for Jesus and Mary and gave us a model of fatherhood while showing us the dignity of work. We We entrust entrust our our family family to you. Holy Family, we consecrate ourselves and our family to you. May we be completely united in a love that is lasting, faithful, and open to the gift of new life. Help us to grow in virtue, to forgive one another from our hearts, and to live in peace all our days. Keep Keep us us strong strong in in faith, faith, persevering in prayer, diligent in our work, and generous toward those in need. May our home, O Holy Family, truly become a domestic church where we reflect your example in our daily life. Amen. Amen. Jesus, Mary, Mary, and and Joseph. Pray for us, and we'll pray our prayer to St. Michael and also the prayer uh, to Our Lady, the Subtum Presidium Prayer. Our Holy Father asks us to pray these prayers every day, daily. He asked us to do this over two and a half years ago, to pray these prayers specifically to protect the church from the attacks of the devil, but also we're adding to protect our country from the attacks of the devil and especially to protect our families from the attacks of the devil. And so we pray, St. Michael the Archangel, defend defend us us in battle. battle. Be our protection protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the heavenly host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. We fly to thy protection, O Holy Mother of God. Do not despise our petitions and our necessities, but deliver us always from all dangers, O glorious and blessed Virgin. Amen. And we pray again, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, we love you. Pray Pray for for us. us. Venerable Archbishop Sheen, pray Pray. for us. St. Pope John Paul II, pray Pray. for us. Our Lady of Good Remedy, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. I don't think today was a specific feast day. Well, yesterday, St. Catherine, uh, no, uh, Wednesday, St. Catherine Catherine Drexel Drexel marched Mm -hmm. yesterday, St. Casimir. But, oh, March is full of saints. St. Patrick. It was good to hear uh, Bishop say that we're going to have a dispensation on Friday, March 19th, the Feast of the Solemnity of St. Joseph. You were specifically looking for that. Well, you know, you can break your fast then on that. Mm -hmm. Not only that, you can can eat meat in this uh, diocese, which is nice. I don't know if we can at home, but we could always drive over here, right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, that's true. Now, Bishop O'Connell really isn't officially our bishop. Well, he's our... I'm a spiritual director for the station. Yes, but we, we our grew. bishop is actually mm. Bishop Perez in, in, uh, in Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Because we live in the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. Right. And I work. So does the... that mean we can't have meat over here? I'm, I should have asked him that question. What if we, like, slept over? Does that count? I'm not quite <laughs> sure what that does. But yes. uh, maybe maybe the Archdiocese do the same thing. And it we just didn't look point. it up. Yeah. It'll be a moot point at that point. We will wait to hear. I'm sure any day we will hear. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm going to hope to make those St. Joseph pastries for St. Joseph's. Like um, Nina, what, what is Gina. Gina. Gina, the Italian grandma who cooks on YouTube. Yes. 
but she makes a nice St. Joseph pastry with the um, cream. I guess you could also make it with the cannoli cream, right? Could you? Would. But I think the cream she made was more of a custard, which looked, it is. Yeah. looked nice. You put a little cherry on top. It's beautiful. A little so, powdered sugar. It's just the two of us, but, you know, we can manage it. Well. Eat them all. You mean, <laughs> we <laughs> could manage. I think we could. We can have a little St. Joseph Festa over here, though. You have a big night that night. That's right. I'm, I'm not even going to be home until late. We're having um, a mass in honor of St. Joseph, which we do. This is St. Magdalene's in Flemington, as probably many other parishes are as well. But uh, this year, we're going to have the Mass in the extraordinary form. We get a, a Father Michael Barron from the Diocese of Newark, who is always travels and people in that circle. They know him. You know, he celebrates the Mass in the extraordinary form. So they've been trying that at our parish, and it does draw a lot of people. So uh, we will see. So is there a special St. Joseph liturgy for the extraordinary form? Oh, yes. And there would be for any other day of the year. I mean, that's the way it, it all began. But I mean, it's specific for the solemnity. It is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yep. Psalms and readings and antiphons, everything written specifically with Joseph, Saint Joseph. the son of David. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's at 7 o'clock that night, the 19th? Actually, 7.30. Because 7.30. It, you know, by the t- Friday night, and it takes a while to get everything set up, and I always need a couple of extra minutes to secure my singers, make sure we're all on the same page. So, so. anybody in- interested in the extraordinary form, yes. there's an opportunity March 19th, the Feast of which probably it's two weeks from today. Exactly. Right? Two weeks, and they're going to have breast, uh, blessed bread given out at the end. So that's like a step up from the whole... See, I can't eat it. Pandemia. Well, I guess I could on well, St. Joseph's Day, but I don't want to. I, I, I hate breaking my fast. Yeah. I'm on the no BS fast. <laughs> oh, yeah. We no, should all follow no that No bread, advice. no booze, no sugar. <gasps> wow. No, no bread, no booze, no, <laughs> no sugar. sugar. No BS. You could probably publish it's The no BS Lent <laughs> sacrifice. And, and we'll we see, need that we'll after this entire year. So what I say is get couple, to the root. A couple of weeks ago, there is a cal, half a calzone waiting for me in the freezer at home almost, on Holy there, Saturday. There almost wasn't. Yeah, you almost finished it. That was my. <laughs> I ate half of it on Ash Wednesday. I'm going to finish it on Holy Saturday. That's with wonderful. The six weeks in between of no no bread, no, bread. no booze, no no sugar. That's remarkable. <laughs> it's hard. It's not easy. There was just some bread on the table in the kitchen. I threw out to the birds. And you came in singing, feed the birds. That's right. I just took those little little bread came with our salad for lunch, and I, I our, hope tu- our tuna salad, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I threw it out to the to the birds out in the yard there. I hope they like Italian bread. Yeah, pizza dough. <laughs> they right, probably take... do with kings right next that's door. Right. That's sure right. They're probably used to that. That's right. We'll uh, take a break, and we come back. We're going to be joined by Mark Hart, and he's going to talk about the book that he's written with his wife, Our Not-Quite-Holy Family. So you stay where you are, friends, and there's a lot more to come on Friday Live. Don't go away.
Well, welcome back, friends, on this lovely first Friday. And uh, Mark and Melanie Hart minister to married and engaged couples in group and personal settings. Mark is the chief information officer and executive vice president of Life Teen International. He's an award-winning producer of Bible study DVDs and the author of more than 20 books. He's a graduate of the University of Notre Dame, a blogger, podcaster, international speaker. He's a research fellow at the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology. He and his wife, Melody, and their four children live in the Phoenix, Arizona area. So we want to welcome to the program, Mark Hart. Welcome, Mark. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. We appreciate having you. We, uh, I'll tell I, you right off, we're yes. snowbirds. We're snowbirds. We just came back. <laughs> <laughs> I can feel I the... I can feel the warmth and the sunshine just radiating through the airwaves. Cheryl hikes the South Mountains when we go out yes, there. Yes, so. love it. Oh, well, there you go. I, well, I don't want to make you feel that. I'm not going to tell you how beautiful it is today. Let's just say it's nice. I, <laughs> okay. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. We miss it every year. We go out there. We, we lived out there when, when we first got married many years ago. And I, we always tell that I would say we used to get a chuckle out of the little gray-haired people who came from back east to spend winters out there. I said, now we have become them. Mm-hmm. But, uh, it's a, it's well, a, you know, I've, I've got gray hair too, and I live here, so I don't know what that means about. But there you I will, go. <laughs> I will say, uh, this is this is as you well know, this is the time that we like to sort of flex, and we post a lot of pictures of us outside, where everyone else is huddled in the freezing cold because we have to hibernate all summer. That's it's right, 190. So that's yes. right. That's right. Turn about fair play. We remember it well. We were sitting out there. We were there last month, and we were saying how, of course, always how gorgeous it is in February. But I said, but we forget. Mm-hmm. How hot it gets here in July and June, and but uh, anyway, it's a beautiful area and a lot of great things. You have a wonderful bishop, mm-hmm. and um, we love going out there to uh, visit the the nuns out in Tonopah and the beautiful monastery out oh, there. Oh yeah, yeah, gorgeous area. But you and your wife Melanie have written a brand new book, and uh, we want to talk about that today. Our not quite holy family. So uh, yes, as authors of many many books, what was the impetus behind this one? You know, it was funny. You know, originally we weren't going to do it. Um, the the, the Alvin Maria Press, wonderful people over there. They, they do a great job. They, they use great resources and service to the church. And they had approached me and just said, "Hey, you know, we've we've we were, we're looking for something that would, that would be for Catholic parents. And you know, would you would you remember way to do it?" And Tommy and I had done a couple of smaller books with, with other publishers on marriage and that sort of a thing. And uh, I, honestly, my first response was, "No, I think there's plenty of books on parenting out there. Uh, we're certainly no experts." Uh, we're, we're more failures than we are successes. So uh, my initial response is no. And they said, well, would you just think about it and pray about it? Which, you know, in Catholic speak is just a kiss of death. Would you pray about it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so we did. We prayed about it. And the moment we started talking about it and just kind of, you know, taking around ideas and workshopping it, we said, you know what? There are a lot of parenting books out there from psychologists and therapists, and, and there are even a lot of Catholic parenting books. But the one thing that I had, I had never read was a Catholic parenting book from the perspective of here's where we've failed. Mm-hmm. Here's where we've messed up, and here's what we've learned from it. Mm-hmm. And that's not that's in no deference to any of the title authors. There's some tremendous titles written by actually friends of mine. Uh, but, but I think what we were trying to do was, I think there is sort of an unspoken, I'm not going to call it a competitiveness, but an unspoken reality among a lot of Catholic families that you have to have it all together. Mm-hmm. You have to be that, that sort of Christmas card family. You have to be the ones who are you know, 10 minutes early to church and and the last one to leave Mass, you know, and, and all of your kids can pray the rosary in Latin backwards, and, mm. and that, that's just what makes for a successful Catholic family. And certainly all the things are great, 
But I just kind of said, you know, maybe I'm the only Catholic out there that feels like a failure most of the time. Like, I'm just not living up. I'm, I'm not as holy as I need to be. You know, I, I'm not as good a catechist as I need to be. We're not praying as much as we need to as a family. And I just said, you know, what if we just were really raw and authentic and we shared a lot of our mistakes and some of our successes, but if we just approach this from a different angle saying, we can't be the only family out there, the only parents out there who feel like they're failing or don't have it all together sometimes. Right. So what if we just wrote a book like that and we were really raw, honest, and we just maybe help some younger parents traverse the minefield or avoid some bum mistakes, help some, you know, some parents that are our age maybe try some new things, you know, maybe try some, some, um, some new exercises and have some new insights and some new approaches with their own kids, you know? And what if we just tried that? And the moment we talked about it, we started laughing, we started recounting stories, and it really was a fun process writing the book. And you realize, um, parents that will eventually get this book, that you're not alone when you think, gee, we, we don't pray the rosary every night, especially in Latin, you know, and, and do you think that I'm, I'm a total failure for that? No, no, you're not. But these are the things that ultimately, wow, we could strive for. But let's get back to the true reality of how people really, really are and what they're dealing with. And so are there some of your own personal stories in the book? Oh goodness, there are so many. And in fact, in fact, my my third my third child, my twelve year old, you know, I, I tried really hard in the book. We tried really hard not to use the different kids' names. We'll say, hey, our then seven year old, our then fourteen year old, whatever. Um, but our twelve year old, I mean, she actually is ready to cover to cover now. She wanted to go through it. She started highlighting and trying to figure out which kid was which kid. <laughs> I'm going through which story was the most embarrassing. She was like, Dad, was this, was this me? Did I do this? Said, was this yes, me? You yeah. You're the one that gave me my gray hair. Yes, you're the one. Yeah. <laughs> so it was a it was a lot of it was a lot of fun. But it it it, start, it starts with personal stories right in the very inter- right in the beginning of the introduction, and it goes all the way through. Hmm. And that's always gripping. You know, yeah. people can unite themselves and relate when somebody's just gut honest and say, look, at the, we tried this and boy, did we flop. But then we tried this and it gives it gets people's thought processes flowing. <laughs> you know, I, as we read and I shared with you heard me share with the listeners uh, all that you and, and Melanie have done for the church in so many different uh, aspects and so many different ministries. Um, and we've been doing what we do here in Catholic Radio for over 25 years. So uh, I think sometimes we feel a little bit more pressure to, you know, set an example, you know, and, and that if, if there is a failure, that you almost it almost it almost uh, amplifies that a little bit because of who we are and what we do. People expect a little more. Do you find that in your work? They say, well, gee, you know, those oh, are the hearts, and my goodness, well, you know, look at their kids, how they behave in church. <laughs> Right, exactly. Right. I mean, I mean, we're always the ones walking in in the middle of a psalm for Sunday mass you know, when people are going to mass. You know, and, and I'm thinking, oh gosh, people know who we are. You know, I'm slinking into the back, and of course, all the back seats are taken because we're Catholic. So you have to walk all the way to the front in the middle of the psalm. No, but I, I absolutely, I absolutely feel that and, and see that. You know, people, I think, start, start to think, oh well, you know, if they wrote a book, or if, if you know, if they're on the radio, or if, if he's up on stage, then they must have it all together, all figured out. I usually want to say, uh, not not at all. I mean, <laughs> God shows the foolish of the world to shame the wise in First Corinthians. You know, I mean, God's going to use He's going to use the worst sinners to accomplish the greatest good. Saint Paul. Um, you know, so I, mm-hmm. I think uh, I think what what we also say is just to be real and to be raw and authentic is really a it's not a it's not a testament to how bad we are. It's a testament to how great the cross is. That's right. It's not a testament to how horrible we are. It's a testament to, to the beauty of God's grace, the reality of God's grace, and the fact that. He looks past our unworthiness, and by the cross, he declares our great worth mm-hmm. every day, every moment of the day. We're talking with Mark Hart. He and his wife, Melanie, have written a brand-new book called Our Not-Quite-Holy Family. 
It's published by Ave Maria Press, and their website is AveMariaPress.com. Mark, what are some of the uh, parenting topics that are included in the book that you will, our, our listeners will be of interest in? You know, we cover a lot of ground. Um, everything, I mean, things you, you expect to see in a, a parenting book in the 21st century. I mean, the, 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 screen, the war of the screen, as I like to call it, you know, for any parent who has a teenager or a preteen, whether they give their kids a tablet or a phone or that kind of a thing. It's horrible things like that. It's, it's communication. It's how you, how you pray with your kids. How do you, how do you help keep them Catholic and, and foster, uh, foster a truly Catholic home while not cramming it down their throats and making them resentful towards mom and dad? Things like that. I mean, um, how how you communicate, how your how your communication has with the kids has to change over time. We do think time of their littles, time of a little older. I mean, right now we have uh, we have a college student, a high school student, a middle school student, and an elementary school student all simultaneously. Wow, that you um, must have that, a lot of gray hair. From <laughs> <laughs> the, the hair I can hang on to, yes. It's yeah. Very gray. But I, I, I say I, I think that there's. A, I mean, I had this misnomer. My wife didn't because she's far smarter and holier. I had this idea before I became a parent, that, hey, you, know, you, you have a parenting philosophy, and you adopt that philosophy, and away you go. And little did I know, oh, my goodness, you know, kids have different personalities. And mm-hmm. Kids need to be parented differently. They need to be loved, you know, the same love, but in different ways. And so we've learned how they had to kind of change and adapt over time as they've grown and changed. And I guess that's even before a pandemic hits, and you're worried about their emotional well-being and their, you know, their mental well-being and their physical health. So those are several of the topics we covered, but one of the things that, that has surprised a lot of people reading it is the beginning of the book, we really focus more on the couple. And and it might even seem counterintuitive or odd that, in, oh, in this parenting book, why are we focusing the first two, three chapters on, on the parents? Because most of our missteps as parents, at least I believe, and most of our failures as parents, if you need to term failure, really comes from our own unresolved sin, our own unresolved wounds from our past, from the way we were raised. I mean, a lot of us function from a default parenting philosophy. We, we parent the way we saw ourselves parented. We used to do the exact same thing, and we repeat the same mistakes our own parents made. God loves them, but no one's perfect. Mm-hmm. Or the pendulum shifts so far in the other direction because we did not like the way we were parented, that now now we, we are almost uh, parenting in a reactive stance because of the way we were raised. So if we can't address our families of origin, we can't address areas where we might have to grow, if we can't admit that, um, then we're, we're going to have our own issues. And then really... How do you, as a couple, protect your, your sacrament, like your sacramental intimacy, your sacramental communication, connection, prayer? Because if you don't do that, then how is anything going to flow from the sacrament? The, the sacrament of matrimony is always holier than the man and the woman are. You know, there's grace there. But how do we tap into that grace and allow that grace to overflow onto our families? Mm. And, you know, we are products of that generational life, you know, that family tree. We are who our parents were, our grandparents, our great-grandparents, and all that formulates who we are. It it almost makes me wonder, you know, before um, the couple, they're only engaged. Before they get married, they go to one of those uh, engaged encounter. And now it's been reduced where it used to be a whole weekend. In in a lot of places, it's reduced to a, a couple of hours if you're lucky two sessions of a couple of hours or the meeting with the priest, it almost seems like you have to take a little bit more of an in-depth look at who we are and how we handle things and just to have some self-discovery before all of a sudden placed in your care are these little people that you have to influence and raise. Yes, and if you think about it, if, if, if we really do believe in in the sacraments, which obviously we do, a priest has to go to seminary 
for anywhere between six and ten years to mm-hmm. get ordained. Right. If he's in an order, if he has a theology, six and ten years. We've reduced a couple to, to your point, not even to a full weekend anymore. To right. a couple of talks, to a few mm-hmm. hours, and we're saying, okay, well, the church will give you a rubber stamp and the pat on the back. No, I mean this. I mean, if God is going to entrust little little souls to you. I mean, right. think about what an affirmation that is on God's part to entrust little souls to you. And, and let's be honest, and you know this from having kids, when, when you, when, when, if, the Lord, if the Lord blesses you with kids, everything in your relationship, everything in your marriage gets better. It, it, the kids are magnifiers. It magnifies everything that's right, everything that's good, but it also magnifies everything that's wrong and any area that's unresolved, whether that's in interpersonal communication, past, you know, whatever it is. So, so God uses parenthood to smash our egos into dust, to, to eradicate our selfishness, while also flooding our soul with love, and then a whole new concept of love. That's the beauty of parenthood. That's the beauty of the sacrament, is that God uses the sacrament, God and the fruit of the sacrament, children, to, to root out the rest of our selfishness in ways we would never choose to do on our own. But He invites us every day to die to ourselves anew. That's right. You know, I, I think as you're talking, Mark, uh, Cheryl and I, we have three children. Of course, they're all grown now. And I, I, I still remember the night that our youngest son left for college. And then that night we were standing in the kitchen and we looked at each other and said, hey, this is the first time in 20 years we've been by Alone. ourselves in this house. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a, like a, an epiphany, a rediscovery. It was it was a, it was great. But there is that whole and then I'm, what I'm doing now is I'm digitizing all my all our old uh, home videos and I'm watching the oh, growth. Yeah. And you go. It's like you're watching a movie. Of, and I think, okay, well, we did a pretty good job there. Ooh, they really would let them, we let them do that. Oh my goodness, and we're kind of reevaluating our parenting. But it, it's right. interesting. What was I thinking? That's right. Exactly. Exactly. I'm almost thinking, and of course, the target maybe uh, your full target audience are those young parents. Now, let's catch them at the beginning while the the littles are still little. But I feel like this is a book that the young couple should read when they either. Or they're engaged, or they're, they're first married before even the thought of children gets gets placed uh, on the table. What what would you think? Oh, absolutely. I mean, honestly, what, when we said who is the target audience, we just said yes, um, because honestly, this is this is the kind of thing it can it can be for couples who are engaged and they're preparing. I, honestly, I would even say for couples who are thinking about getting engaged, know mm-hmm. what you're getting into, know what you're walking into. True. But um, we, I, I mean, honestly, in the in the weeks it's been out. I've heard from people who have given this as as wedding gifts, bridal shower gifts, as um, as gifts to, to new parents, uh, expecting parents, young couples. Um, in fact, what was, what was great was <laughs> I actually got the sweetest email from a, a grandmother, and she's oh gosh, she's got to be in her late fifties, early sixties. She said I was giving I was going to give this to my daughter as you know she and her she and my son-in-law about to have their first child. So, so I flipped open the first page. She says, I was so I was laughing so hard in the first three pages, I ended up finishing the book. She says, and now I'm making my husband read it. And I thought to myself, <laughs> and your kids are out of the house. Right. To your point. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, we can we can always grow as a couple and we can always grow as parents. Even when we have even when we have kids, elder kids, grown up kids, out of the house, grandkids. When do we stop parenting? Right. Never. That's I mean, right. We, we never parent until the Lord we never stop parenting until the Lord calls us home. And then when he does call us home, all we're gonna be doing is interceding for them anyway. That's right. Was there any right. revelation, Mark, as you were uh formulating the, the chapters and you and um your wife, Melanie, were were talking about let you know, what's the progress of the book? Was there anything that cropped up that, that really made a light bulb go on for you? Yeah, that's a great question. Actually there were a couple things. First, 
I think that, especially when you're raising kids, I mean, it's, it, you know, when, when they're little, little, I mean, you just chase them around all day and you have no physical energy left, right? Yeah. And then they get into the teenage years, and, and they're still busy, but you have no emotional energy left. I mean, you get to that 9 o'clock hour, and there's just one neuron still firing if you're lucky, and you just collapse under the couch. And I think that stopping, like, like you were just saying, with transferring the home videos, right? When you actually stop the insanity of life, and this has been great, because we actually finished the book during COVID. You actually press pause and stop the insanity of life, and you just look up. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of times, parents, we just our heads are down, and we just keep going. I'm a tutor, I'm a chauffeur, I'm, a, I'm an ATM, I'm all these other things for my kids, right? We actually pause and look up and smell the roses. Yes. And don't just stop and smell the roses; you stop and buy them, mm-hmm. and you take in life, and you say, you know, what's that old saying? It's like the uh, the, the the days go, the days are long, but the years are short when it yeah. comes to parenting. Yes, it's like true. they just fly by. And until you look up, and so for us, going back through old stories, reminiscing, laughing, writing it, and then just realizing what the Lord has revealed to us. Like, and even stopping to realize what you've learned as a parent. Like, I think any parent listening can resonate with this. What did the Lord teach you during this season of parenting versus this season? Mm-hmm. During these first few years, I mean, these last few years. Yeah. I think when you stop and, and really press pause and you pray about it, you, you see how much you've grown in wisdom. Mm-hmm. In knowledge, I mean, and, and it's always the old joke, right? Well, your your parent, your first child, became your parent, your third child. That's absolutely right, mm-hmm. and that's actually you know, while the children use it against you. Oh, I had it harder with mom and dad than you ever had it. Mm-hmm. And they use it against each other. It's a realistic thing, mm-hmm. and, and, and it should be that way because over time, as we're growing older and hopefully wiser and, and hopefully holier, we are going to change the way we do things. We that's are going right. to change the way we react to situations. I'm not going to react to a speeding ticket the same way the third time as I did the first time. Right. Well, if it's the same kid, then we're going to really have an issue. <laughs> so that was the first that was the first lesson. I think the second lesson is, you know what? Even when you, even when you're you know you feel like you're like you're a failure, like you're just not getting it done. You know when you can take off your parents' hat for a second, when you pray, I think most of us pray as. I'm still praying as a parent. I'm still praying as a boss. I'm still praying as a, as a, as a director, a leader, whatever it is. But how often do we just go back to God the Father as his son or his daughter? Mm. You know, it's like we have to take off the adult, take off the parent hat, and remember that, that God is our parent. And we learn how, if we really let ourselves, the divine parent, our, 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 our Heavenly Father, our Blessed Mother, they're going to teach us, St. Joseph certainly, they're going to teach us how to parent. The more that we're in communion with them, the more we're praying with them, the more insight we're going to have, the more docility we're going to have, the more peace in our hearts we're going to have. When all, when all life's anxiety that we cannot control all pop up. And it's not, it, it really, when you think about it, it's not by accident. Jesus could have taught us how to pray a million different ways. It's not an accident they said, this is how you are to pray. Our Father. And he immediately starts with that relationship between father and child. Right. It's immediately where he goes. And that is so telling. I mean, we have, we have, he's a, he's a, he's a second person of the Trinity. He could have preached in sermons that would make Aquinas look like a babbling kindergartner. And instead, what does he do? He says, this is how you are to pray. And he gives us a sermon, what does he do? You know, he, he, gives us, he gives us the Beatitudes. He gives us these hard teachings. But he does it in a way you can understand, parables. That, that God comes down to our level in the Incarnation and says, this is how you are to live. This is how you are to pray. And if we can just, just take Jesus at his word and do what he says and approach the Father like our Father, it's going to change the entire context of, of how we father, how we mother our kids. Well, the name of the book is called Our Not Quite Holy Family. We've been talking with the author. He and his wife, Melanie, Mark Hart, uh, wrote this book, A Practical Guide for Catholic Parents. It's published by Ave Maria Press, and their address is AveMariaPress.com. So, Mark, we want to thank you for 
uh, all the great work you're doing, especially for the book today, and uh, congratulations on it, and to you and Melanie and all the, the wonderful ministry you're involved in. Thank you for being with us today. Well, thank you so much. Next time you're coming down, let's go hike the mountain. There you I'll go. I'll <laughs> be there. I'll be there. God bless you and, and Melanie and all the children uh, working our way through all these crazy times. Uh, keep up the great work, and we'll get in touch with you when we're out in Arizona. Sounds good. God bless you. Right, God bless you. Time. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. All right, friends, and you stay where you are. There is more to come on Friday Live.
the sound of good news and the love of the King. How beautiful the hands that serve the wine and the bread and the sons of the earth. God gave us night and day so we could play and pray together. So now let's see what's headed our way as Jim gives us the weather. All right, friends, that means it's time for our domestic church chief meteorologist, Jim Hoffman. Hello, Jimbo. Hello. Happy Friday. Happy first yes. Friday. Yes. Yes, first Friday. First Friday. That's right. Yeah. Although I did hear the wind howling out there, so March has been coming in like a lion. <laughs> it makes me want to. I was going to say that. Very, very windy out there. I, yes, I can hear it. In my it. home office, I can hear the wind. Uh, for some reason, I can hear it better in my home office than anywhere else in the house. <laughs> it's um, buffeting against the window and the side of the house. It's um, yeah. incredible. Yeah, I, I, I just looked at some of the observations. We see um, there's some wind gusts especially in South Jersey, near 33 miles an hour, um, 29 miles per hour, 25 miles an hour. So it's gusting out there. Yeah. Wow. Well, it is, as they say, it is March and uh, coming in like a lion and hopefully going out like a lamb, but I'm sure you will have all kinds of information about what to expect. So hoping you're... Yeah, I sure will. Hoping you predict Actually, some nice biking weather. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah, that's, you know, that's what I'm looking forward to. If it wasn't so windy, I was gone biking today. I did get out Wednesday. Wednesday, it got yes. up into, I guess, around 50, low 50s. <laughs> it wasn't too bad. Right. Um, but forget yesterday, forget today. I don't, I don't know about tomorrow either. But um, I, uh, I might have to make a fire not, tonight. No, yeah. <laughs> well, no rain or snow. Yeah. So we're not looking for anything like that. But um, just that, that wind is going to take a little time to die down. All right, so, so um, we can expect wind. Yeah, yeah. so let's get into the forecast. So okay. tonight, you know, it's pretty cold out there, too, for this time of year. And tonight it's um, going to be cold. It's going to get down to around 25 degrees. Uh, that west wind is going to continue around 10 miles per hour, but we could see gusts as high as 25 miles per hour. And as I just said, there's gusts being reported over 30 miles an hour um, in some parts of New Jersey, especially south. So... It's gusting out there. Tomorrow, Saturday, partly cloudy, high near 40. Uh, that west-northwest wind is going to continue uh, around 10 to 15 miles per hour. Saturday night, mostly clear, very cold, low around 23. Then Sunday, sunny, high near 40. Sunday night, mostly clear, low around 22. And then Monday, sunny, high near 46. And you're, you're going to love this. So looking into next week. Uh, right now, we're looking at the Tuesday high of 61, 
Wednesday high 65, Thursday Whoa. high 66, Whoa. Friday high 65. So if you want that biking weather, I think it's coming. <laughs> I don't see any rain or snow, as I said. Well, with highs in the 60s, it would be rain, but I don't see any of that for the whole week. So looking good as, as long as we can get out of this cold. And you know, <laughs> so Jackie, my wife, just took off camping with her friends. Can you oh no, that? really? Camping this weekend? Where'd, well, <laughs> where'd they go? Someplace colder? <laughs> <laughs> Some, someplace near near Tom's River, I guess, in the Pine Barrens. But um, I'm keeping my phone very close because <laughs> yes. she's going to be calling. Jim, come pick me up. Yeah. No, wait a minute. Are there campsites in the Pine Barrens? Well, yeah, there's, there's campsites in the Pine Barrens. She's um, she has some friends that have campers, so they towed their campers. They just left a little while ago. Towed their campers down Route 539 into the Pine Barrens. Oh, so it's not they're not and, sleeping uh, in tents and and and, and no, sleeping bags. No, okay. no, they're not that crazy. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> so that All would right. be cold. <laughs> yeah, well, I would I would keep the phone on at a full tank of gas anyway. Well, good for so you're bacheloring yeah. you're bacheloring it up this weekend. I am a bachelor, but it's me and my my daughter Margaret. She's. Uh, 14, so I'll be hanging out with Margaret. Well, that'll be fun. Daddy Margaret things to do. Will she Will she be cooking for you? <laughs> no, no, probably not. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be cooking for her. Good for you. You're a good dad. All right, Jim. Well, listen, thanks so much, and uh, looking forward to a wonderful week. It sounds like we could even work on our our March tans. Absolutely. <laughs> go. All right. Well, God bless you, and uh, I hope you don't get a call at 3 o'clock in the morning to come to the Vine Barrens and get me, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is such a thing as Uber, right? That's right. I want to. I want to hear what happens if you say that. Yeah. <laughs> I hope she's not listening right now. Yeah, I will. I will be doing the weather next. Friday. That's right. That'll be the I'll be, line. I'll be in recovery. That's right. That'll be the line. There is such a thing as Uber, you know. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> All right, Jim. Have a great week. We'll talk to you next week. God bless you. Have All a good weekend. Right. Thanks. God gave us night and day so we could play and pray together. So now let's see what's headed our way as Jim gives us the weather. Time to name that Catholic tune, and another Lenten edition of Time to Name That Catholic Tune. That's right. This is a hymn for Lent, if there ever was one. Okay, so Cheryl will give some clues, and then when you think, well, then she'll play a little bit of it on the uh, keyboard, and then when you <laughs> think you know what it is, once she plays a little snippet, uh, you can give us a call here at 609-493-8255. That's 609-493-8255. That's the number to call, but don't call until she plays a little bit on the keyboard. First, she'll give you some information about it. 609-493-8255. This hymn is based on the prophecy of Simeon that a sword was to pierce the heart of Mary. And as I said, um, truly written for the Lenten season in such a um, pious and devotional manner, um, it was actually sung in the medieval times, medieval renaissance, like 1500s by uh, flagellants. You know what flagellants Yeah, they would are? whip themselves. Right, right. So Flagellants. Make sure you pronounce that correctly. Flagellants. flagellants. Yes. Not with a T. <laughs> right. 
Well, you know what I'm saying. So extremely pious. Which can be pious. just as harmful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the text came from a pope who was first a canon lawyer, and then he turned Franciscan priest, eventually a pope in the mid-1500s. That's Pope Clement VIII. And it was, as I mentioned, intended for devotional use, especially on Fridays in Lent. And uh, so beautiful was the text by its many, many verses that famous classical composers took it many steps further and would draw out portions of the text and create these long, elaborate uh, choral pieces, you know, based Mm -hmm. on that text. So you'll hear a little bit that, you know, later we play the full piece for you. You're going to hear some of that variation in the the melodic setting. So um, it's also one of the top Latin hymns in our day of all time. But we sing it in English, don't we? Better known as by its English title. Right, right. But traditionally in Latin, I think it wasn't until the mid-1800s that it was transferred to English. Uh, But hopefully you'll read a very short melody, and as I said, many verses. I'm going to start at the beginning because it's just so short. 609-493-8255. Name this Catholic tune. You can call anytime. 609 493 8255. Think about the words because that's the title. If you've gone to stations so far this Lent, you probably sang this hymn. Think of the words, that's the title. I thought this would be easy, actually. Yeah. Well, you gave the biggest clue that it's used for stations. Sure. I mean, what I, I've never—I don't think we've ever sung it any other any yeah. other time. Six zero nine four nine three eight two five. Have you? Maybe you were right. You thought it was going to be a tough one. I thought it might be hard. Oh, I thought only it was because easy. you know we're involved. You know, we really super pay attention to the music because that's kind of like part of our makeup. We've got those musical genes, if you will. Yeah. Some people go along. Well, and we do have a contestant. The titles don't come to them, you know. Hi, you're on the air. What's your name and where are you calling from? I'm Tina from Neptune City. Tina Hi, from Tina. Neptune City. How are you? I'm great. Good. And what do you um, think today's Catholic tune is? I'm not sure if I'm right. Is it Holy God, We Praise Thy Name? Actually, no. no. Actually, no. Good guess, though, Tina. Well, Tina, you're just uh, going to have to try again next time. All right. Okay. But send me. Could you please send me a magnet for my car on the florist that talked to you when I donated back in I don't know was it January? Or... Yeah, I remember. <laughs> do we we have do we, we have all your information? I'm sure we do. What's your flower okay. shop, Tina? Yeah. What's the flower shop? Sparrow's Nest Flower Shop. Sparrow's Nest. All right. Yep. Neptune. Flower shop in Neptune City. Yes. Okay. I need one I... for my car when I do deliveries. All right. Okay. You got it. You, you got, got it. it. Thank you, Tina. God bless you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Hi, you're on the air. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Uh, Renee from Long Branch. Renee from Long Branch. Are you uh, in Father Butler's parish? I am. Yes, right. I am. Wonderful Father Butler. Okay. So, what do you think today's Catholic <laughs> tune is? I'm not 100% sure of the title, but I think it's At the Cross, Our Mother Weeping. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. Mm -hmm. Excellent. At the Cross. um, And 
the, I think that's like part of the second phrase. It starts at the, right. at the cross, her station keeping, stood the mournful mother weeping. Mother weeping. Yeah, right. And as I said, there's 14, 15 verses maybe, but um, that's the one. Yeah. And I'm sorry, your, fir- your, name, your, your first name again was? Renee. 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 Very mm-hmm. good, Renee. Congratulations. And you, uh, Thank you. you make the, the good parishioners at, uh, at Father Butler's St. Michael's Parish very proud. So don't, <laughs> oh, thank you. Don't hang up because Cheryl's going to get on the phone with you and get some information from you, okay? Super. Thank you so stay, much. Thank okay, you for hold calling. on. All right, stay Great. there. And friends, you stay where you are. I'll be right back. And in fact, we'll probably go to break uh, after the hymn. So uh, back at five. So stay with us. Bishop Robert Barron. 
Tolkien has reached out to, you know, Nordic culture and literature and Icelandic sagas and all sorts of things. He learned a lot about the good, the true, and the beautiful from his study of pre-Christian cultures. He used narrative forms that were accessible to the culture. He adapted that to evangelical purposes. So that shows you that flexibility. It shows you a certain um, creativity in the evangelical uh, art. He did not proselytize. Rather, he very delicately and indirectly and cleverly evangelized through the imagination so that someone taking in these great stories of Tolkien or his friend C.S. Lewis, they're going to say, oh yeah, I get that. I recognize that pattern. So that finally when they hear the gospel, they'll say, yeah, I understand that. I learned that from the Lord of the Rings. I learned that pattern from the Narnia stories. And that was the genius of those fellas. The leading Catholic voices are on EWTN Radio. The leading Catholic voices are on EWTN Radio. Every single day, I get to help our listeners of the Sunrise Morning Show wake up, find out what's going on in the church and the world, and then walk with them as we all seek to grow in knowledge and love of Jesus Christ and the Catholic faith. I mean, how could it get any better? The Sunrise Morning Show with Anna Mitchell and Matt Swain. Heard right here on Domestic Church Media weekday mornings at 7. Have you downloaded the Domestic Church Media app for all your mobile devices? It's free and enables you to stay in touch with Domestic Church Media and all we have to offer. You can tune into our live broadcast 24-7 as well as listen to our archives and podcasts. And you can even watch our local DCM programs live on our YouTube channel or watch the archive programs all on your phone or tablet. In addition to all things DCM, you'll also have so many other resources right at your fingertips. The free Domestic Church Media mobile app also gives you the daily mass reading the Liturgy of the Hours, numerous common prayers and novenas, and daily saints of the day. And that's not all. The Domestic Church Media mobile app also includes the complete catechism of the Catholic Church, the entire Bible, as well as multiple Catholic periodicals and newspapers like the National Catholic Register, Our Sunday Visitor, and so many others. Plus, you'll have access to all our local diocesan newspapers and so much more. Go to your app store today and download the free Domestic Church Media mobile app. We know you'll love it. There was no single event. It was more gradual. You know, eventually you just don't go one Sunday and then you don't go two Sundays in a row. Then went through a divorce and um, ended up being a single parent. If I didn't have church or God, I, I, I would be back at that lonely stage, that trouble stage. Whenever you get anxious and worry about things, you just know that Jesus has it under control. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for any reason, visit catholicscomehome.org. 60 Seconds with Mother Angelica. When I read a pamphlet the other day on abortion, you know, it started out with aborting babies by various cruel methods. And now they're not happy with that. Now they take them out alive, put a hole in the back of their head and suck out the brains for experiment. Do you think for one minute that the Lord God who breathed the soul into that tiny little body is going to put up with that kind of cruelty and satanic cruelty to boot. And they, oh, no, mother, you know, that's your religion. Oh, goodness. Not even a matter of religion. It's a matter of humanity. It's a matter of life. The people you know and trust are on EWTN. 
The leading Catholic voices are on EWTN Radio. Through EWTN Radio, we talk to audiences all over the world. One thing I've found out is everybody in the whole world has the same set of questions. They live the same human life. They all want meaning. They all want love. They all want significance. That's the most fascinating thing to me. The same answers work wherever you are throughout the world because we're all children of God. Call to communion with Dr. David Anders. Heard right here on Domestic Church Media weekdays at 2. This is WFJS 1260 AM Trenton, WFJS 89.3 FM Freehold, WGYM 1580 AM Hamilton, and WSMJ 91.9 FM North Wildwood Cape May. Communicating hope on Domestic Church Catholic Radio. Welcome back, friends. Another hour of Friday Live coming up here on this March 5th, the first Friday edition. Hoping you are well and staying with us. I'm Jim. And this is Cheryl. And uh, we'll be here until 6 o'clock. And today, of course, is first Friday. You heard the bishop at 3 o'clock. Uh, coming up after us, Bill and George will be here with Brothers in Arms. They have a special, very special guest in studio with them today, uh, Kim uh, Sanford, who has uh, opened a, uh, is running actually a, uh, Crisis Pregnancy Center right over here in Trenton, Options for Women, uh, and uh, they'll talk all about that, so stay tuned for that. Um, of course, uh, this program repeats tonight at 10. We'll repeat again tomorrow at noon. The Bishop repeats tomorrow at 4 o'clock. Bill and George repeat at 11, trying to pump up the local programming. So we're happy you're here. And this hour, we're going to have our gospel reading for this coming Sunday, the third Sunday of Lent. And then a little later on, we're going to be joined by Dr. Ted Furton. And Dr. Furton is an ethicist at the National Catholic Bioethics Center over here in Philadelphia. And he's going to directly address the vaccine issue, which many people have questions about. So uh, so if you have a family member, a friend, or maybe you're just even yourself, you're wrangling with this, do I get the vaccine? Do I not? Which one do I get? Have them tune in. You know, he'll be on right before 530. Yeah. Or so. catch it on one of the repeats, you know. And you heard the bishop talk about it if you were listening to his mm. program earlier. But uh, uh, Dr. Furton will also talk about it from a, from an ethicist, ethicist's, Catholic ethicist's point of view. and Because um, it's a moral issue, too. But, yep. you know, and the other thing is it's such an extreme time we're in with this pandemic. So there are different factors that weigh in that permit what might ordinarily not be permitted. Mm -hmm. so. so we'll uh, have our gospel reading for this coming Sunday, the third Sunday of Lent. And it's not Mark this week. No, it's not Mark. So it's a little longer than Mark. Uh, but anyway, so we'll do that. And then Father Gary Koch will be here with a reflection. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Jesus came to a town of Samaria called, now how do you pronounce, S-Y-C-H-A-R, Sychar, Sychar, Sychar. Near the plot of land that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph, Jacob's well was there. Jesus, tired from his journey, sat down there at the well. It was about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. 
The Samaritan woman said to him, How can you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? For Jews use nothing in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you do not even have a bucket, and the cistern is deep. Where, then, can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the cistern and drank from it himself, with his children and his flocks? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I shall give will never thirst. The water I shall give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. You people say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Believe me, woman, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You people worship what you do not understand. We worship what we understand because salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And indeed, the Father seeks such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, the one called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us everything. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking with you. Many of the Samaritans of that town began to believe in him. When the Samaritans came to him, they invited him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more began to believe in him because of his word, and they said to the woman, we no longer believe because of your word, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world, the Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to, you, to you, Lord, Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ. Christ. For all of those things that are right about us, there are plenty of things about us that are wrong as well. This is true of whatever the us is. It could be me as an individual, or my family, a corporation, a political entity, a nation, and certainly even our own church. Some of the things that need to be or could be fixed are within our domain to handle, while others are so endemic that it will require an entire shift in culture and a complete conversion of mind and heart. We have seen that recently again with the arrival of a new presidential administration here in our country. Despite the promises of change that we have seen, the political machine runs as it will, regardless of who is calling the shots. Jesus confronts the situation as he enters the temple precincts in Jerusalem. Though still under construction, the temple has stood as a religious and cultural and imaginal center of Judaism since its original construction by King Solomon around 960 BC. The rituals of the temple were established a thousand years ago, and the function of the priests and the Levites was well regulated. On the surface it would appear to be a well-run, magnificent structure 
focused on the celebration of the daily Jewish ritual and majestically festooned for the various pilgrimage feasts. This is what brings Jesus to Jerusalem, the spring celebration of Peshach, Passover. Although he is struck by the beauty of the buildings, Jesus is not interested in the particularities of architecture and construction, but rather he peers more deeply into the very heart of the matter. What Jesus sees is a defiled system of sacrifice and a corrupt priesthood. The people were obligated to purchase animals for sacrifice, but needed to do so, not with their usual Roman denarii, but with the temple shekels instead. Since there was no established exchange rate, the money changers were free to charge whatever they wanted. Several generations earlier, the high priesthood had become tainted as a political patronage position, and not as the descendant of Aaron, the brother of Moses. Jesus knows that this temple, like the temple of Solomon which preceded it some 600 years earlier, is doomed because of its sinfulness and corruption. Sooner rather than later, not one stone will stand atop another. We know indeed that the temple was destroyed in August of 70 AD by the Roman army. Jesus was reflecting on more than the external structure. In fact, one could find no flaw within the temple itself. It was a beautiful building, pristine in appearance, and larger than anything that the people would have seen otherwise in their daily lives. As Jesus erupts in righteous anger and upends the tables of the money changers in the temple, he is not focused on the building. Instead, he is making a statement about the quality of the faith that was being exercised in the building and its precincts. The question is about the faith that is exercised within a building. No matter how plain or simple or how large or how ornate or how small one's church is, it does not matter as much as does the faith of those who worship within its walls. Jesus reminds us that our internal faith stands as the key to our relationship with God and that from that faith will flow our external faith how we celebrate, how we observe the rituals, and how we love one another. The fact that we choose to build beautiful structures as a sign of that faith within the world itself should serve as a testimony of the faith inside and not merely our desire to aggrandize ourselves through the construction of a magnificent building. The temple that Jesus knew was built as much to honor Herod who ordered it and paid for its construction as it was a place of worship for God. As we enter deeper into the season of Lent, we are reminded that what we do as sacrifice and how we live our lives must have a total congruity to the demands of the gospel. We are first and foremost turning our hearts towards God. We are committing what we are and what we have to the full service of God and to his people. We are not in this for ourselves, and what we get out of it as a personal matter or so that others can be impressed. It is a difficult tightrope, but if indeed zeal for the house of the Lord consumes us, we are heading in the right direction.
Well, welcome back, and uh, that was my my bad on the gospel reading. Although no gospel is bad, everybody's gospel is great, but I made a mistake. I gave you the wrong gospel because this week there are possibly two gospels. Right. So if your uh, RCIA candidates are in the process of journeying into the faith, the gospel that we read is the woman at the well, which is the recommended reading for this first scrutiny for the RCIA. And you know, I started reading it, and then, of course, the red flag should have been, it's not Mark. It wasn't Mark, yeah. yeah. It was John. But then it was lengthy, and, of course, the woman at the well, and only because I really 
study the readings well before they happen, just so I can adapt some music. And of course, Father Gary's homily was for the regular gospel. So now but your homework is a little cate- to- little, little catechesis That's here that there is you know that wasn't the gospel that Father Gary was uh, teaching about, but still a great teaching, and uh, we also got to hear the, hear the other gospel. And you know what was beautiful? Well, we were away in Arizona. We uh, tapped into the the is it the chosen? The chosen, yes. The chosen that mm-hmm. um, series, and one of the episodes was a, a beautiful the woman at the well. The woman at the well. Mm-hmm. So it, it kind of comes to life if you have. A way of watching that. Now, I wouldn't be able to do it all by myself because there's too many controls. It was on a smart TV. Oh, and I'm not as smart as that yeah, TV. Yeah, but the smart TVs are the thing. There, that's yes. that's the way of the world. And you're going to see. I mean, you even see now a lot of the um, the network, the cable network, pro- television programs, networks. They're actually also now on stream. They're on Roku and Fire TV and Apple TV. And the advantage is what? You can pick whatever show at any time and watch whatever you want? Is that the idea? Well, there's that's part of it. But the main thing is is that there's going to come a time in the near future when there will be no cable television. There will be no satellite TV. It's all going to be Internet-based. Oh, man. That's why the TVs are so smart. They know that. <laughs> I guess so, <laughs> that's Jeff Rowe. That's why they're... <laughs> That's why this. Yeah, here's a little trivia. A little. Did you ever watch the Beverly Hillbillies? Speaking of oh, Jethro, absolutely. And you what know what grade, it makes me. What grade did Jethro graduate from? He had what type of education? What grade in oh, school? My sixth. Grade. That's right. <laughs> sixth grade. <laughs> and he wanted to be a brain surgeon. <laughs> Out of all the hillbillies, he's still alive. The rest of them have all okay. passed on, but mm. Jethro is still alive. Who was your favorite character? I enjoyed Jed. <laughs> I liked Granny. Granny's oh. good. I think because I always wanted to be a grand. That show was on was for funny. ten years. Really? It was on for ten years. So funny. But do you remember the time that those programs were? Now that was in black and white. Initially, then it was in color. Yeah, but um, I would go over to my friend's house because they had a color TV, yeah. and we knew like whatever night it was, it was at six o'clock, and like Lost in Space was coming on. Lost but that in was space. it. You had to go at that time. And turn yeah, on no DVRs, no channel. DVD, no VHS. <laughs> Watch it or miss it. Right, and that's like the Wizard of Oz. You know, you look forward to like usually it was around around Easter, the Wizard of Oz, mm. and you'd look forward to that. Or Peter Pan with Mary Martin, which yes. is real. You know, now I'm really saying how old I am, mm-hmm. but it was on once a year, and that and you'd look we'd look forward to it. Oh, right. Peter Pan's on tonight. We'd watch now it. you can have the the tape or whatever it is, yeah. the DVD, and right. pop it in any old time. Or Charlie Brown's Christmas, you know. Right. Now people You'd are watching wait. that in July. Yeah. So, anyway, What was that's... the one? Now, let's see if anybody remembers this one. I'm going to talk about dating ourselves. It was always on at Thanksgiving. And we would vie for the television that nobody would watch football because we wanted to watch this silly movie. Oh, with Laurel and Hardy. Yes. March of the Wooden Soldiers. March of the Wooden Soldiers. It was on Channel 11. Wasn't it? <laughs> you remember? Dun, dun, and they dun, would dun, dun, dun. shoot those peewees or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Not pod. Pod. <laughs> That's right. That was a good movie. That was great. And still, I wonder if it's, they still do that. We don't get New York stations by us. I wonder if it's still on Channel 11 at Thanksgiving time. <laughs> we have, actually, we do have it. Didn't you buy a DVD of it or something? I did. Uh, for some reason, it was one. Maybe because it was a musical. But remember how they're just like archaic, like the three little pigs, the puppetry was just Yeah, it was so like nineteen thirty three or oh something. My gosh, it was old. Just rickety black and white and the and then now they colorized it, which I would mm. like the colorization. Yeah, I like the original. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah. 
Um, our friend Father John Butler, speaking of Father John Butler in St. Michael's Parish, uh, sent me an email and he wanted to know if we could announce this, that there's going to be a blood drive this coming Monday, 11.30 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. The drive is a collaboration effort among many organizations and groups and co-sponsored by three Catholic parishes neighboring Monmouth University. St. Michael's, of course, Christ the King, um, and worship sites Our Lady Star of the Sea, Church and Holy Trinity, mm-hmm. and Our Lady of Hope Parish, worship sites St. Jerome's Church, St. Mary of the Assumption Church. Uh, the drive is conducted by Robert Wood Johnson Barnabas Health Center uh, and will be located on the campus of Monmouth University in West Long Branch. Several campus groups are also co-sponsoring this blood drive, including students of Catholic Campus Ministry. Wonderful. The need for blood donations is great and urgent. Effective surgery, I'm sorry, elective surgeries are being deferred due to the shortage of donated blood. I guess people are hesitant to donate blood because of the, right. the pandemic. Yeah. Um, but they take all the, you know, proper protocols, but for months they weren't able to have anything. Mm-hmm. Now they can. Well, yeah. blood donations save lives. And uh, Father is putting the call out to please donate if you are able. That's this coming Monday, March 8th. From 11.30 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. And there's a number to call to register for an appointment. I'll give you that number, listeners, so you can write this down. It's 732-235-8100. That's 732-235-8100, extension 221. So, again, the number to call to uh, register for an appointment this Monday, March 8th, sometime between 11.30 a.m. and 5.30 p.m., 732-235-8100, and that's extension 221, to register for an appointment to give blood this coming Monday. Now, after Father sent me that email, he sent me a text. He's really a salesman. He said, want to give blood over here on Monday? Lunch or dinner is on me. Yay. <laughs> is that open to everyone or just you? No, I, think it's just, oh. I think it's just us. <laughs> okay. so he's, he's 45 us. people knock on his right. door. Yeah, he's not, that wasn't part of the email, by the way. So oh. if you give blood, Father, Father, Father's not going to buy everybody lunch and dinner. But he, <laughs> Let's make that very what clear. What a salesman, though, right? Well, isn't you know, that he beautiful? He texts me and he says, want to yeah. give blood on Monday and he'll lunch or dinner, he'll buy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's a nice day on Monday. Long Branch would be pretty nice to go to. Sounds very And we could have a nice lobster dinner on Father Butler. (laughs) That's right. You heard it here first. (laughs) But again, friends, uh, March 8th, this coming Monday, 1130 a.m. to 530 p.m., the blood drive, and you can call to uh, uh, register for an appointment, 732-235-8100. That's 732-235. Two three five eight one zero zero, extension two two one. So there you go. I wonder if any parishes are starting to plan some events. You know where they're inviting the public to come. Uh, I haven't checked the bulletin board this week, but I know that uh, our our staff of volunteers were entering uh, bulletin board information when they were here last week. So like we're going to see a turnaround soon. Yeah, but But, you know, I, I was just reading online, and I'm not. Casting any uh, any uh, aspersions here, but there now a lot of the headlines are saying because of the variants, uh, yeah. people are fearing a new surge. 
and you know you gotta gotta be careful yeah, fear because fear is not fear. You know when you fear, you are controlled basically, and and just I I I I you know I'm not a, a conspiracy theorist. But you see now, I think they said there are like 18 states, had like, and Arizona is one of them now, no masks, and That's everything's right. open 100%. Uh, Connecticut, uh, Connecticut, which is one of right. our Right, I heard that. Connecticut, I would yeah. be I would very surprised. It's here in the Northeast, and they're having 100% business opens, mm-hmm. open, and, and are they doing the, also the mask off? No no mask mandates. So if one if you want to wear still it, you wear feels it. that they, you know what, I, I feel better if I wear one to protect myself, then you are free to do so. But those other people that are, you know, uh, pillars of health and or had the vaccine, at this point we're dealing with so many variables. They had COVID. They have the AMBA antibodies. They should be free to go about their business as usual. And you could still do the physical distancing. Um, but I think there's a time when we have to try to start getting back to normal. Well. I mean, no, the virus hasn't got away. But neither has uh, leukemia or other forms of cancer or the common cold or bronchitis or a long string of illnesses, which we never really ran from and stayed locked in. They know what they're dealing with now. They know what we have to do. I just think it's interesting in a, in a, I don't want to say suspicious way, but with, you know, you're hearing a lot about these states now that are doing away with the mask mandates and the mm-hmm. businesses are being able to open 100%. Then all of a sudden you start seeing these headlines about the fear of a new surge, almost to try to to, to fear people back into, I don't know, scare people. I, I, I don't know. But, you know, there comes a point where we're supposed to be the land of the free and we should be able to make educated decisions on what we're going to do. We're not going to. At this point. I mean, you see the numbers, and I think I've read something else that they're saying, waiting. of course, that, that they're. They're saying that probably, um, you know, uh, uh, I think almost a, maybe over 50 million people have already had the virus without right. even knowing it. Well, right. you don't, you didn't hear those numbers before. Well, so how, where's all that coming from? Right. I don't know. All we can do is pray, 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 pray. And pretty pray. soon we'll all be outside in the fresh air and opening the windows. Right. And, right. you know, the viruses die. They don't go on through. And the vaccine. Maybe, I mean, right. thousands and thousands of people are getting the vaccine. So mm-hmm. that's obviously having an effect. They said the, the, the number of cases has been reduced by 70 percent. Hospitalizations right. are down. Right, right. Um, but then all of a sudden you see these headlines about the surge of the variants. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that gives me agita. Yeah, It I gives know. me the agita. So and if you want we'll to talk about uh, giving blood and getting a free meal on Father Butler. We're going to talk about that. <laughs> we seriously are. And let, let's see. now. So that's a Long Branch or West Long Branch? Long Branch, yeah, right on the ocean. So I could Saint deliver right Renee. There. Although I, could... I guess the blood drive is at, at the university. So. Well, that's okay. You're practically there. We can visit the flower shop. We could go bring Renee a fine prize for winning our game show today. Mm-hmm. We can do a little bit uh, on the road trip with Jim and Cheryl. Yeah, well, we can. That's right, because I'm not on the air for Mondays. So I'll... Oh, that's Monday's kind of our day off. Well, not not really day off, but it's no. But <laughs> I, I mean, my if, program, yeah, yeah, a day off from. We work hard here. Let me assure you. That <laughs> yeah. we work and very of course, hard. I'm up at church, but I do have that flexibility that if I want to make Monday my day to. Do something mm-hmm. that can be the day because mm-hmm. I don't have choir and stuff. Well, uh, coming up in just a few moments, we're going to be joined by Dr. Ted Furton. He's from the National Catholic Bioethics Center. He himself is an ethicist, and he's going to address the vaccine issue. So a very interesting interview. We hope you can stay for that. 
Uh, he'll be here shortly. Let's take a quick break and be back with Father, I'm sorry, the Father, Dr. Ted Furton. Don't go away. Welcome back, friends. Happy to have you here on this uh, lovely uh, March 5th, first Friday. And uh, 
We want to welcome to the program Dr. Edward Furton. And Dr. Furton received his master's and doctoral uh, degrees in philosophy from the Catholic University of America in Washington, D.C. He's taught at St. Charles Borromeo Theological Seminary in Philadelphia, LaSalle University in Philadelphia, Rockhurst University in Kansas City, Missouri, uh, he, a member of the National Catholic Bioethics Center since 1987. He subscribes to the natural law theory of ethics and has written and spoken of many topics in bioethics, including stem cell research, reproductive technology, uh, brain death, organ donation, physician-assisted suicide, and vaccine use. And that's our topic today. And we want to welcome to the program Dr. Ted Furton. Welcome, Doctor. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate it. Thanks for uh, taking some time out to be with us today. Of course, uh, the hot topic this week, especially with the uh, release of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine and the bishop's statement uh, regarding vaccine usage and mentioned specifically that vaccine. We wanted to talk about that. But first, let's, of course, the whole issue is the stem cell uh, issue uh, involved in the vaccine. Can you give us a little background on this? Because, uh, again, there might be some confusion as when people hear the term that uh, stem cells, fetal stem cells are being used, that it's recent uh, abortions, or, or what does the line of stem cell mean? How does this work? Yeah, well, there there have been a number of cell lines that have begun uh, years ago. I mean, it doesn't matter so much that it was so long ago, but, I mean, it was a bad thing to do. Uh, they took uh, cells from abortions, put them into a Petri dish, and did whatever, you know, chemicals were necessary to get these uh, cells to reproduce themselves on their own. And uh, there's several different lines available to the scientific and research communities, these uh, cells spontaneously generate so long as they're cared for and given proper nutrients. And they have been around for decades and decades. They're used in a wide range of products and medicines. Uh, when I first came on to the National Catholic Bioethics Center over 20 years ago, first thing uh, that fell on my plate was this question because it came up in relation to rubella, which is a common uh, vaccine. The, the vaccine that's used against rubella uh, is uh, connected to one of these problematic cell lines, and we got a question from a bishop asking about it. Uh, the Vatican has looked at this pretty closely over the years. It's not a new subject for them uh, or for us here at the NCBC. Uh, this, uh, this has been a problem for a long time, but the general sense is that the vaccine should be used uh, because there is a great deal of distance, not in time, but in terms of causation between an end user and uh, the people who mm, took advantage of an abortion and produced these lines and then grew vaccines in them. Is there a difference, doctor? I, I hear you um, using the term cell line, and then many of us were familiar not too long ago that we're talking about stem cell research. Is there a difference? Yes, there is. Uh, the stem cells are generally taken from embryos uh, and cultured, again, in a Petri dish in laboratories and used for various experimental purposes. Uh, that's a newer uh, abuse of human uh, cell, human life. Uh, and it's actually, uh, you, you actually have to kill directly the embryo to get the cells so the researchers not someone who just harvests the, from the evil work of somebody else, but mm -hmm. somebody who actually carries out the killing of an embryo and then takes the cells and, and uses them in research. But these cell lines, uh, some of them go back to um, the 60s, uh, some of the first ever done 
1968, I think, were the first two. Uh, one in uh, England, one here in Philadelphia. And these have been around for, for decades. Uh, and because they multiply so rapidly and can be divided, uh, they are sent out to various uh, research laboratories and are used there. All of these cells are descendant cells. Uh, they're not, uh, although they come from an abortion, that is from aborted tissue, uh, these cells have never been in uh, the body of a child. They're cells that were grown from the original uh, cells taken from the abortion. Mm-hmm. So, yes, there is a difference between the two. And, of course, we know that the women, I think this is a strong point for the case of if if J, the J&J vaccine is the only one you're able to get, women or any of the vaccines, for that matter, women are not specifically having abortions right now, nor are doctors encouraging the abortions so we can get those, sem, those uh, cell lines. Yeah, I mean, I think that the key thing here uh, in terms of the way the church is thinking about it is that... Uh, the, 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 we have a duty to care for our own health and, and that of those around us. It is a moral duty. You know, we're stewards of our own lives. And despite the fact that these lines have these nefarious origins, uh, the end user, you know, the men and women and children who need to be vaccinated against contagious diseases, they hadn't. They haven't done anything uh, to bring about this problem, and it's uh, it's a problem originated by other people, mm-hmm. and it's just unfortunate. Uh, certainly, when there is an alternative, there are um, cell lines or pro- manners of producing uh, vaccines that are not connected with these these lines. And and when those products are available, uh, the church says, please take those. Uh, do not use the ones that are compromised. But Again, the, the reasoning here is a duty to, to care for health and a, a lack of responsibility or causal connection to the wrongdoing that led to the, the problem in the first place. We're talking with Dr. Edward Furton. He is the director of publications and a staff ethicist at the National Catholic Bioethics Center over here in Philadelphia. Uh, and we do point out, Doctor, you are not a medical doctor, but as, an, as an ethicist that uh, this is certainly a question that many people have had and and do have. And is it my understanding correct when we talk about the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccines that there was no stem cell line used in those vaccines? Well, they, there was use, but let me distinguish between two sites of use. One is for the production of the vaccine itself. So in that case, cells from these problematic lines are used to actually make the vaccine. The other use is a testing procedure that involves uh, PCR and you know multiplying cells so that they can be tested for compatibility with human life. You know, if it doesn't cause damage to human cells, et cetera. So production and testing. Production is more intimate, if I can put it that way. It's it's a more direct use of the cell lines. Testing, I mean, testing happens using these lines because they're so common, happens everywhere. I mean, it's, it's so common. I mean, if you use aspirin, ibuprofen, acetaminophen, uh, you are using a product that has been tested using one of these, these cell lines. That's mm-hmm. how widespread this is. Um, it's, it's used in any type of medical product, virtually any type. I see. So, and I, I, I didn't. I saw a quick headline, and I got distracted. I, 
sorry, I didn't get a chance to read it, but I did see somewhere that Johnson & Johnson said that a stem cell line was not used in their vaccine. I'm not sure if that's... No, it's it was used both for the production and for uh, the testing. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, the other, the other ones, the RNA-style vaccines from Pfizer and Moderna, did not use uh, the cell lines for production, but did use it for testing. Mm-hmm. So if you can get those, it's, it's better, uh, better to get those than the Johnson & Johnson, but you know, you, you, there's sometimes no choice, and people who are at significant risks should certainly seriously consider getting vaccinated uh, if they don't have, unless they have a good reason to the contrary. But I don't think anyone should be forced to have it either. There shouldn't be a mandate that you must be, must be uh, vaccinated. It's a, it's a decision that each person must make. Um, but again, we have a moral duty to care for our health and, and the health of those around us. So it is an important moral duty. So that's good information to share with our listeners. So, so as a, a staff ethicist at the National Catholic Bioethics Center, someone calls you and calls the center and they're just concerned that, you know, there's so much information out there, a lot of misinformation. And we know the bishops put out a statement this week uh, regarding this issue uh, in layman's term and just straight across the board. What what would you tell somebody regarding the vaccine? Just that, that you share with us how you would counsel them. Yeah, I mean, I, I've pretty much said that, but I think what's interesting um, is, you know, I would tell them you should take the vaccine. It's it's uh, acceptable within church teaching. The Vatican's aware of the uh, association, uh, distant association. Again, I mean not in time, but in causality. Mm. Um, you know, the user is not bringing about this state of affairs. So, you know, feel feel free to use it. But it's interesting the calls that we get here. We do have a rotating duty day. Uh, each of us is on one of the days of the week. And many people call up, and if there's any connection whatsoever to abortion, they say, I'm not going to use it. Uh, I got a call from a 77-year-old woman who said, um, you know, this, this, uh, can I use this? I said, sure, you can use it. Is it connected with abortion? And you say, well, it is in this way. And she says, no, I've, I'm just going to put my trust in God, and I'm not going to use it. So uh, there's a there's a real uh, sharp black and white line, and it's understandable. I mean, abortion is a terrible practice, uh, but uh, but honestly, if you wanted to avoid all association with it, you really couldn't go to the hospital. You couldn't uh, you couldn't use statins or the new cancer drugs or uh, blood pressure drugs, diabetes drugs. These are all tested uh, using these cell lines. So mm-hmm. it's it's very very commonplace uh, uh, in medicine. So that's good for our listeners to know and uh, understand. And there have, as I said, there have been a lot of questions. We get them here. I know the bishop was here earlier, and he said, of course, the diocese gets them. So this is good clarification. I could almost envision an analogy to um, say someone takes their own life or, or you know, dies by some horrible tragedy, but then their organs are put in whatever, refrigeration, freezer, however that works, and then somebody down the line, you know, needs a kidney or, or needs a heart or something. Could could an analogy be drawn in any way? Well, it is, it is similar, but there is one uh, important difference, and that is informed consent mm-hmm. uh, for, um, you know, the family of a suicide victim could uh, give consent for the organs of their family member to be used by others, that'd be fine. But in the case of abortion, 
because it is uh, a, a direct and immoral killing of another human being, mm. you just you can't give consent for it. And so there's there really is no way to justify what the researchers did here. Uh, I mean, because it, it just got off to the wrong start. It, mm. it, and once that corruption is there at the beginning, it can never really be uh, resolved. And, and the calls that we get where people say, I don't want to have anything to do with it, is the result yeah. of, I mean, in a sense, it's logical thinking. If we're supposed to be opposed to abortion and we can't eradicate this problem, that this has a connection to it and it shouldn't have been done this way, then why should I be involved with it? So it makes sense from a logical point of view, but it's it's um, the problem of informed consent is what makes th this case different. It just couldn't be obtained as it could, say, in a suicide or an accident. Right. Well, that's wonderful information. Again, friends, we're talking with Dr. Uh, Ted Furton. He's an ethicist at the National Catholic Bioethics Center. Doctor, if you don't mind, before we let you go, uh, maybe there are people who do not even know about the National Catholic Bioethics Center. I know I uh, called them a number of years ago when my dad, who was 92, and he was in, uh, in the hospital, and they were discussing a, a major operation, and, and I just we didn't know where to go with that. So it was good information that we received from the uh, center Tell our listeners uh, a little bit, be real quick, about what the National Catholic Bioethics Center is and does, and, and if they need information, how they can get that. Maybe there's a, a website they can read more to. Yes, there is a website. Uh, if you could just do, you do a, a general search under Catholic Bioethics, it'll be probably the first one that comes up. But it's ncbcenter.org is our website, the National Catholic Bioethics Center. Uh, we have uh, various programs in addition to doing consultations, and we, we do them every day. People call and contact us by email. We have a, an email uh, submission uh, place at the website, as well as phone calls for leaving voicemails. We even have an overnight service, so there's always somebody on call. But we do many other things as well. We have an educational program, uh, certification program in Catholic bioethics, we have a we have a, a biweekly podcast, which is done by one of my colleagues here. Uh, we help the bishops with uh, mergers and uh, takeovers uh, of Catholic uh, hospitals with secular systems. Look at contracts, uh, and then I, as director of publications, we have a monthly uh, ethics and medics. It's a newsletter, and then a quarterly journal, the National Catholic Bioethics Quarterly along with, with books. Our next book out is uh, Transgender Issues in Catholic Healthcare. That's already on pre-order, and uh, I'm sure many people are going to be buying it because this is one of the great uh, challenges for Catholic healthcare today, yeah. the whole transgender movement. Amen. Absolutely. So maybe we'll have to have somebody back on to talk about That's, that. I think so. The website is ncbcenter.org, listeners. So if you want to take a look at that, it's ncbcenter.org. And we've been talking with Dr. Ted Furton, who is an ethicist at the National Catholic Bioethics Center and also the director of publications there. So the book's in quarterly coming out, and uh, I'm sure you did a lot of editing there yourself there, Doctor. Mm. So, so uh, please stay in touch, and, and we must have you back on again. These are all hot topics that are really hitting in the heart of the Catholic home. Happy to do so. Yes, yeah, right. feel free to call. Great. Great. Thank you very much. And, uh, friend, you stay where you are. We're going to come back with more. Don't go away. 60 Seconds with Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. Man who's free to love is free to hate. He who is free to obey is free to rebel. 
Virtue in this concrete order is possible only in those spheres in which it is possible to be vicious. A man can be a saint only in a church in which it is possible to be a devil. You say, well, if I were God, I would destroy evil. Well, if you did that, you would destroy human freedom. God will not destroy freedom. If we do not want any dictators on this earth, certainly we do not want any dictators in the kingdom of heaven. And those, therefore, who would blame God for allowing man freedom to go on hindering and thwarting his work are like those who, seeing blots and smudges and errors in the student's notebook, would condemn the teacher for not snatching away the book and doing the copy himself. The people you know and trust are on EWTN. 60 Seconds with Mother Angelica. You know, you can be too generous. For example, if a man comes home with his paycheck and say he's just got $100, he's got five children, he's got rent, gas, and electric to pay, and he sees a, a poor man there, and he gives him the whole $100. And you say, oh, God's going to reward him. See, the gas and electric company aren't going to think that way. That man was too generous. Now you say, well, how could he be too generous? He has his family to think about. He has his rent to pay. These are just debts and just obligations. Now he could have given part of that, but to throw away all of it is to use a virtue to an excess. Now you can do that with virtues. You can do that with any good thing. The people you know and trust are on EWTN. Well, there you go. <laughs> the people you can trust are on EWTN. Mm -hmm. Like the bishop said, you look to the Holy Father, you look to the uh, Conference of Catholic Bishops, mm -hmm. look to your own local bishop. That's the word of authority. Yeah. Um, this year, 2021, will mark the fifth anniversary of Mother's passing. Ah. I've not heard anything about anybody opening, opening a cause for mm. canonization, but this is the year they could ah. do it if they wanted to. And that would be March 27th, I believe. Yeah. yeah. 27th. It was uh, Easter? It was Easter Sunday night, yeah, that she passed away. Well, maybe they're waiting. Yeah, again, nothing is, I've not heard anything. No but, buzz. Uh, no. Well, I wouldn't be surprised, but. And then. Uh, Eight years ago, I can't believe it's been eight years. Let me guess, Father Groeschel? No, no, he was. He's. He actually. We just. We last year was his fifth. This. This. His mm. fifth anniversary. Eight years ago, on March thirteenth, Pope Francis was elected. Wow. Eight years. You believe that? Eight years. And you just picture yourself still, still standing in the square. Yeah. Like we were rain. just there. Yeah. But it just seems like it doesn't seem that long ago. Eight years is a long yeah. time. That's right. <laughs> Think about a child. Who you know was born and then is eight? You think they're like well, this is mm -hmm. all grown up? Right, right. I don't know. Time is just flying by. And then I'm thinking, okay, now that was three years in a row. We went on pilgrimage. We went to the to the uh, election of Francis, which we didn't intend to be there for that. Right, that just there. happened. The next year we went for the canonization of John Paul and John, John the twenty third. Then the year after that we went for the shroud. So it's certainly time. Yeah, I'm but, so ready. Aren't you just so ready? I know, but who? No, nobody's going to go to Europe. Yeah. I don't think at this point yet, mm. until all this situation is settled. Right, uh, and things are able to be open. I mean, you go there and you're going to see boarded up shops yeah, or museums. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I don't know. It's uh, you'd like to be able to plan something, but 
can't. It's a waiting game indeed. Yeah, but I did read, because we were there in 2015 when they exposed the Shroud of Turin. We went there in Turin and actually saw the Shroud on mm -hmm. display. This year, they're going to do it virtually. They're going to display the Shroud virtually. Oh, my. For so people you can, around the world. You can look at the Shroud virtually. Not quite the same. And there's something about being, remember, it was a huge cathedral, and you were pretty close. I mean, obviously, you couldn't touch anything. There was a, a rope area, roped-off area, but you could go so close and to be in that holy presence mm -hmm. and with all those people, and it was just so solemnly silent and reverent and prayerful and it does the total experience you know all it, i remember is we flew all night yeah. it was like 13 hour flight to milan mm -hmm. and then about a two or three hour bus, bus ride, ride from milan to turin the same like there was no stopping at the hotel and freshening no up break just keep going and got to the the directly church for the to standing in line to the line yeah and then you get to see the shroud for about 10 five so minutes that was the the biggest part of the pilgrimage you know <laughs> and then from there we went down and kept drove south but we did stop in turin we went to siena right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. stopped at that nice winery and had a beautiful i love that lunch that we had a meal outside in the i know in the vineyard i'm just dying to go back but... italy ah yeah, <laughs> italy. Yes. yeah it was nice but yeah i don't think at this point people would sign up to go on pilgrimage though. no i think they would be i would be but i would be hesitant too mm -hmm. sure because you don't know what the situation is in, in those. Although I guess they are. I mean, they are. People are flying to Europe. Right. right? And they're ahead of us, you know, right? Didn't it all start over there? Well. They were a little ahead of the game. Yeah. But, I mean, they have not, they have not, at least I don't know, have they canceled or restricted flights? I couldn't tell. Yeah, I, I mean, know. I didn't even, I've never no, even looked even into looking, it. Right. No one's even looking into it at this point because what's no. the point? Nobody's going to do it anyway. No. I feel no. sorry for the travel agents. Oh, my. How are they surviving? Well, I don't know. All right, well, our time is up, my friends. We're going to head on out of here, and I uh, hope you have a great weekend. Stay warm. Uh, I'll be back on Tuesday at 4 o'clock, God willing. We'll be back next Friday for Friday Live. So join us then. Have a great weekend. God bless you.